0: Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture comes out of the book of Mark, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. In their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning. Thank you for being here in person and those of you joining us online. And thank you to Mitch and Ginger and our worship team for serving us uh, and providing the worship service for us. Um, I want to do, I know we prayed about this earlier, but I want to take a moment for us to specifically think of a couple people um, over in the region where, everything going on, where everything's going on right now with Russia and Ukraine. And so will you pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we've all seen the headlines this week, and we're all aware um, of, of various details and, and all that's going on. And um, our hearts are wrenched. Uh, But specifically, we think of a couple uh, people within our own congregation here at West Bowles. We think of the family of um, Larry and Judy Johnson, um, who we know have family members who had to leave the Ukraine. And so we lift them up to you right now. We pray for your protection, obviously, over there, but for Larry and Judy specifically, that perfect peace that surpasses understanding. We lift up Clarice Eldridge, who is not far from where everything's going on in Lithuania. And uh, she's been led to a school out there. We know she is, she is um, at a school with both Russian and Ukrainian students there that are um, just dealing with all that has come with this. And yet we, we believe with all our hearts you've positioned Clarice to be exactly where she is. We ask for your um, protective hand on them. And, uh, Lord, we, we bring our spiritual resources to you. We, we pray with, with all the faith that you are completely sovereign. You have the situation in your hands. But, Lord, we pray, as, as Graham prayed earlier, that you will open our eyes to how we can uh, respond to uh, whatever needs arise as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, You know, I was reminded of, from time to time, I tend to think back to our time working with teenagers in the youth group here uh, at the church. And I was reminded recently of uh, a trip that we took out to um, Oregon and Seattle. And I remember one night, it was probably like 1230 in the morning. And you know, when when you are like leading a youth trip, there's no time off. Okay. I mean, what appears to be sleeping is just, is really on call. So I get this phone call from a kid in the group and he's a senior. And uh, for all I knew, he had been having a great time. He said, Hey, uh, I need to, I need to talk to you. I was like, okay, uh, I'll meet you in the hallway. So here I am. And you got to understand, I go to bed at like eight You know, I, it just, you you remember that, that moment in life where it's like, yeah, staying up till midnight doesn't sound fun anymore. Okay. So I'm like deep REM sleep. Anyway, he calls and we're sitting in the hallway talking. I said, Hey, what's going on? He said, you know, I just, just, this, this is tough for me. You know, he had been new to the group and, um, I was like, why? And right then, like, Two kids like ran out of the room and they threw, I don't even know how they got it in there. They threw this water balloon, water balloon mixed with like water and flour and it lands like at our feet and splashes this kid who called me on the leg. And he's like, right there. That's it, right there. Like this is just not enjoyable. And he began to talk about, um, I was giggling because he, here this guy's an athlete And he said, there's just so much walking. And you have to know part of the strategy of youth trips here at the church is we walk and we walk and we walk and we walk. But there's something about when teenagers walk together, they get tired and there's a perception of value received out of it. I don't know. As long as they can walk together. And so we would regularly like walk around the same block three or four times until somebody, we just want to see how long it took for them to notice. Well, anyhow... It's a good time-consuming thing. You should try it sometime, maybe at home. So uh, anyway, he just said, there's so much walking, and I'm just like sore, and tired, and I got to admit, there was something rising up in me like, oh, it's just so sad, you know? And um, right then, another door opened, and there was a girl that was with our group who, uh, she just, for her entire life, there has been a physical disability, and she walked by and with the brightest smile on her face, said, Hi, hi, see you guys in the morning. Kept walking. Immediately, it was like when the, when the water balloon hit his leg, his response was that immediate. He said, Never mind, I'm going to go back to bed. And I thought about that, and I've always remembered that because I thought it's so interesting to me how perspective is really a matter of where you're positioned. It is absolutely a matter of where you're positioned. And I'm amazed, even in my own life, at how many things I will point at and I will give authority to as obstacles to having faith. And and I bring all this up because as we're walking through Mark, and we're beginning Mark chapter 2, as Mitch read, as we're walking through Mark, I'm struck by Jesus' heart for people. But I think the thing that continues to just be impressed on my heart is that Jesus will remove pretty much, no, every obstacle there are for people between them and him. And yet, it's so easy to miss. And so this, this account that Mitch read for us just a little bit ago, I really, as I walk through it, I'm amazed at the different obstacles that keep coming up, that Jesus just deals with, whether actively or passively, in order to bring somebody closer to him. And so I want to walk you through these five obstacles because every single one of us, you're either dealing with it or you are walking next to somebody who is dealing with one of these, some form of these obstacles. And and so today a face may come to mind uh, or you may come to mind to yourself, but let's open it together and and see what God has to say. This is uh, Mark chapter two, verse one. And we already see the first obstacle. In fact, this is one we've been talking about throughout Mark chapter 1. It's a crowd. Listen to this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, the thing you've got you to know, if you were to look at the ancient um, architecture of, of their houses— uh, for, for this social class, because this was presumed to be Peter's house, for that social class, they had these houses that the, the front door would open not into like a courtyard, I mean that was, that was for those that were more wealthy, but right out onto the street. And so you can begin to imagine the size of the crowd here. The house is full and there's not even room to get near because the street is filled up. And as you begin to look at this, you start to realize as you think about the crowd throughout Mark, and this is going to continue to come up. In fact, the crowd is referenced over 40 times in Mark. But in, in this instance right here, you realize that crowds do, were doing the exact same thing then that they do today. I mean, think about crowds. Crowds are incredibly influential, aren't they? I mean, you hear a crowd, you see a crowd, y- you perk up. You start paying attention to what the crowd's paying attention to. And the thing that you'll notice in Mark is you walk through Mark and you pay attention to everywhere that the crowd is mentioned. A majority of those times, it's the crowd that is preventing people from getting to Jesus. So so we, we see crowd and we think, oh, it's a great thing. And yet it's the crowd could be the very thing that works against what Jesus is up to. You remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Peter came to him and he said, "Hey, everybody's here to see you. He's healing people." And he had the next morning he was out on his own, "Everybody's here to see you." And he goes, "Yeah, let's let's go that way." Because that's why I've come. That's why I've come. And so crowds are incredibly influential, but here's the thing about a crowd. They're also incredibly influenced. Over and over, you can read about the crowd was amazed at everything Jesus was doing. And so here you have this influential thing, but this incredibly influenced thing. I- isn't it true today? I mean, crowds are fickle, aren't they? And you think about fashion sense. See, this is why my daughter asks me and my wife actually, why don't, why don't you update your clothing? I go, because it's just, it's just going to change in like a week. And by the time I get to it, that'll actually be my teenage daughter's cue to, to change, to change into a new, to a new style. And so uh, I'm just doing everybody a favor. I'm just going to keep it as is, just blue jeans and t-shirts forever, okay? And so you have this, but you also have this instability of the crowd. They were so fickle. And as I begin to think about this, I realize that's really the obstacle for many people, isn't it? You think about this crowd, and, and as Mitch read, and as we'll see again in a little bit, you've got these friends, of this paralytic, and they're trying to get him to Jesus. And yet, it's the crowd in the way. I actually deal with this every single week. Every single week here. And, and I dealt with this when I was a teenager and I would sit right over here. Inevitably, there was a point during the service where I had to go to the bathroom. And I, some of you like, are oblivious to this and then some of you get this. Some of you are like, I'm just going to hold it. Because why? Because when you get up, what happens? People start going... But see, now I stand right here, and so guess what happens now? See, there are words coming out of my mouth, but if I see somebody actually just walked out, I'm glad they're not hearing this, or maybe they are, but anyway, they walk out and I'll be talking, I'll be sitting there thinking, I made them mad, totally made them mad. Let's see if we see them next week. And, And so we can get this perception, there's a crowd mentality that can keep us from getting closer. Now, that might describe you. Well, that could very well describe a coworker, a neighbor, a teammate, a relative. It, maybe there's a face coming to mind right now. And there's likely, as, as I've sat and I've talked with even some of my own neighbors, there is a crowd mentality piece that when they think about the church and they think about the body of Christ, they think, I just, I just can't, I can't, that's, that's a big obstacle to get over. Well, we'll see. That is going to be dealt with. But it leads us to a second obstacle. As you walk through this account, the roof. I want you to pay attention to what happens to the very roof of this house. Verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him, to Jesus, a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, excuse me, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd... They made an opening in the roof above Jesus. Remember, what is Jesus doing here? What's he doing in the house right now? He is teaching. He's teaching, and there are people breaking through the roof over his head. At which point, if this was happening right now, you would not be listening to me, would you? No, but they are digging through the roof and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. See, there's this thing with ancient architecture, especially at that time, that these roofs were so solidly built. I mean, they would have like these tiles with plaster and, and like slabs of stone. Some believe that there was even a mix of like mortar and ash and tar, and, and when it was all mixed together, eventually grass would begin growing on it. Now, these aren't these sloped roofs like you and I are thinking of, but it's more of a, it's a flat roof. So think deck, think balcony. You know, oftentimes there's a ladder or a staircase that they could get up to or get up to the roof by. But here are these four men and their paralyzed friend, and they're looking at the crowd and they're thinking, there is no way we get him into him by going through the crowd. And so they go through the roof. And as I was sitting with this passage, I thought, my goodness, don't we point at the physical barriers? Don't we get pointed at the physical barriers between us and Jesus and and point at those as reasons not to have faith? I mean, yeah, a a roof is solid. It's the solid thing that they had to break through. But the other thing about a roof is that it's really the place where you don't know what's on the other side of it. And I got to be honest, again, as I listen to people and as I think about people, When it comes to a relationship with Jesus, it's like trying to figure out what is on the other side of what's right in front of me. Now here's what I love about this account. There is not one time, you will not find one account where somebody was seeking Jesus, whether they had right motives or not, that he got upset at the interruption. So you can imagine he's maybe Maybe. I mean, when I think about the planning that goes into a sermon or a message, I, I'm sitting here thinking if I'm in Jesus' sandals, I'd be a little irritated if somebody starts coming through the roof right here. Yeah, I'd want my time back. I'd, I'd want a word with them. And yet, Jesus, nothing of the sort that we read here. Luke has a parallel account. He gives a lot of details. He doesn't share anything about Jesus getting upset or irritated at any of this. And so... I guess, I guess I ask, when you think about you or you think about the people around you, what are the layers? What are, what are those things that you just see as such an obstacle for people to get to Jesus? I mean, just think about Sunday mornings for a moment. You know, I, I had one Sunday morning off, and I remember just thinking, wow, this is what people do when there's not church on Sunday morning. And that was great for a week. And then I realized I was beginning to miss it. But see, you walk with and you work next to and you drive next to and you interact with all week long people that they, they think of a building. And, and how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, if I entered that building, it'd fall over. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, just the time is not conducive? How many times have you heard somebody walk in and say, well, there's, there's that person in the room? You know, it's amazing the obstacles that can be there. And a lot of times, you know what's so easy to do? Is just say, deal with it. Deal with it. And get irate and get upset. And yet, Jesus does none of that. Jesus says, you, you want to come through? Come, come on through. And they lower him on a mat. So what are those, those, those things that you get pointed at? Where you hear people getting pointed at? The physical barriers can be an obstacle. There's another obstacle that I believe gets highlighted here. It's this mat. They're lowering this guy on a mat. And if you knew anything about the mats that are referenced throughout the Gospels, when Jesus comes across somebody, you'll read that it was someone lying on a mat. This often symbolized and really was a picture of their status and their social status and their symbol and maybe even their condition, that they might have been poor or they might have been so sick that all they had was this mat to lay on. And so here's what we read. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And then look at this in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith. I don't know if he's referring to the four friends and not the paralytic or if he's referring to all five. Have you ever thought about that phrase? When Jesus saw their faith. That is, when he saw that they they were willing to get around the crowd to break through a roof and to lower him, he was willing to respond. And, and then he says the most puzzling thing, though. I mean, if you're taking your friend to Jesus because you want them to be well, you want to see healing, you would expect something different to come out of Jesus' mouth than what he says right here. You would, you would want, hey, you're healed. You know, maybe puts his hand on him, you're healed. But what does he say, son? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Here are these men, these friends, who had gone to really any length to get their friend to Jesus. I don't know how far they had to carry him, but they had to carry him. They had to get him up to the roof. They had to break through the roof. They had to lower him down. It makes me wonder, as the church, are we willing to go to any length to get people into proximity with Jesus? And in order to do that, we have to understand what it is Jesus just said here. Because what Jesus really pointed at was our actual need. What he really pointed at was the paralyzed man's actual need. Yes, we would look at it and go physical healing, and that is important. And yet he says, no, no, no there's, there's a deeper need here. Your sins are forgiven. It's been widely documented that there are some physical conditions and illnesses that are really the result of something much deeper inside going on. I mean, what's that phrase? You've maybe heard it about ulcers. An ulcer isn't the result of what you eat, but what is eating you, right? Because we all can can develop an ulcer at any given time If, if the heart... And if our condition continues to descend as we begin to continue to stew on things, right? See, we can stare so much at a condition that we think the answer is just, if I could just fix the externals, if I could just fix the physical, if I could just, if I could just, if I could just. And Jesus says, no, there's there's a deeper need. There's a deeper need that when you get liberated in here, then regardless of whether the externals change or not, you can begin to cope. And not just cope, you can begin to thrive on the outside. Well, you move through. You move through this account. We see a fourth obstacle here. Verse six and seven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And see, these guys were there to nitpick because Jesus had, he'd really aroused their jealousy, hadn't he? I mean, they'd heard of all he was doing. They'd seen all he was doing. And as they began to listen to what he had to say, this was their, this was their loophole. This was their opening to say, who, who has the power to forgive sins but God alone? And the, here's, here's the thing that really, I believe, becomes an obstacle. And it, 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 we're all capable of this. It's really this internal attitude of the teachers of the law. In fact, I would say that it was probably this one that's pointed at more than anything else for, for reasons people don't engage Jesus. And the reason for it is because they think that Jesus thinks like these guys. There's this attitude. And what may, what's so sad about this account right here is how blinded they are. I mean, think about it. It's teachers of the law. They knew what had been said about Jesus. They knew the Old Testament prophecy about him. And here he is. They are feet from him in a room and they can't see him. Now, you don't need to be a teacher of the law to know that attitude, do you? Because we all can go there. And we all can begin to think, well, if I was in their shoes, here's what I would do. And we begin to doubt and we begin to cast doubt on maybe what he's doing in other people's lives. And this is, this is really the seat that these guys sat on. They were blinded by it. But the other thing you got to know about this kind of attitude is that it is never sudden. I mean, when I encountered somebody who's bitter, you know what I realized? This did not begin overnight. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever come across like, it's a mix of Eeyore but Incredible Hulk kind of thing. You know, where it's, it's just like, wow, this has been festering for a while. You, you've probably come across that, right? And you realize this didn't just start yesterday morning at all. But the reason we know this, I mean, obviously Jesus is going to point it out, but all the detail we get at this point is now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. Thinking to themselves. You want to know where that attitude begins? the thoughts that you think to yourself. This is why Paul spoke to being transformed by the renewing of the mind. This is why Solomon, he said, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is my attitude? Do I have hope? For, for whether it's my own situation or for those that I encounter outside of, uh, excuse me, outside of here. Finally, we, are, we arrive at a fifth obstacle, as this account continues, and it's in the verses that follow. Verse eight says this immediately. Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, "Why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, "Your sins are forgiven?" Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. I mean, this would be like Jesus saying, look, I'll write you a check for a billion dollars right now. Or I could just pull it out of my pocket right this moment. And Jesus is saying, which would be easier? Well, it would be a lot easier for me to write you a check, take off, and, and then just avoid you. But then he says this, verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has... Authority on earth to forgive sins. See, this is so interesting because this passage, you hear it and you think it's about a healing. And yet Jesus is driving home the point right now. It's really about his authority over every single obstacle we face. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. See, the teachers of the law, they were actually correct. When they said, nobody, nobody can forgive sin except God himself. What they didn't account for is that God was sitting right in front of them. And so Jesus, not needing to prove himself, but seeing an opportunity to help them understand, hey, you come to me because you're drawn to the miracles, you're drawn to the healing, you're drawn to the sick being made well. Well, let me, let me just connect the dots for you. Get up, take your mat, and walk. And in these few verses, there are three things that get said over and over. Get up, take your mat, and walk. Get up. Take your mat and walk. There's a reference to get up, took his mat, and he walked. And as I read that, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if for many of us, the obstacle may not be a crowd, it may not be a roof, may not be a mat, it may not be an attitude, but the obstacle for us is ourselves. Because Jesus has looked at you and he's looked at me and he has said, get up, take your mat and walk. And so often, I know in my own life, you know what I've done? I've stayed on the mat. And whether it's, uh, oh, I'm I'm a worthless worm, or, oh, I don't really believe that you've got that power, we've we've given the authority of Jesus away to something else. We've said, look, the crowd is too much. The roof or the physical barrier is too much. My condition, that mat, is too much the attitudes of those that, that I thought represented you or the church or the religious institution. It's too much. Or we just refuse to look outside the mirror and we think I've done too much. See, this account is really about the deity and the authority of Jesus. That's what we're seeing here. See, it's easy to read it and go, oh, cool, he healed, he healed another person. Well, yes, but again, what did Jesus say? I want you to know my authority. My authority. And the question is, what are we giving authority to? What are we giving authority to? Can I, can I read the very last verse again? He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Did you catch that? See, at the beginning of the passage, they came up to the crowd, but they had to go around it. Now he gets up and he goes through the crowd. This amazed everyone, and they praise God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Uh, one, one thought that I just wrote down this week, and I pray that, that as, you, as you hear this thought, you'll come back to this account but really, it, it, what this comes down to is that where we place authority, where we place authority determines whether we go to or through the obstacles to faith. Where we place authority will determine getting to and stopping or through the obstacles to faith. Because I've got to be honest, as I've been reminded so many times, God has positioned you. God has positioned me. God has positioned the church within the world to look around with all the spiritual resources that are found in Christ, to look around and say, I want people, I want you to get people to me. I want you to get them to me. And that may not mean people coming through these doors ever. It may very well mean that when you go out these doors, you may be the only church that people experience. This entire week. And, and I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever walk through these doors. I hope they do. But it may be you. As I think about what's going on on the other side of the world right now, you know, it looks so hopeless. And yet I'm reminded that because of the authority of Jesus, I mean, you just look through all the human rulers throughout Scripture, and we are just full abundantly full of spiritual resources. There is a Russian leader right now, Vladimir Putin, Putin, that you look at him and you just think, he's not gonna change. And yet, if you've ever read the account of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel, I mean, he very quickly became subject to the sovereign, holy God. Pharaoh, same thing. All the kings, eventually, they're going to be subject. And so we as the church, as the body of Christ, what can we do? You can't fly over there right now. But you can pray. You can ask God that even that heart, Lord, there's no, there's no amount of military power or military might. Even if that were to overwhelm them, it would be compliant. But it wouldn't be a softening of the heart. Only Jesus has that power and that authority. There is no obstacle that is too big, too strong, too intense to get in the way, as I think about every single person over there. You know, it's so easy to think all I can do is pray, and yet as Dave Beatty has reminded me over and over and over when I've said that, he said, yeah, and it's the best thing you can do. One one story, and I'll end with this as the worship team comes back up. There's a man named Doug Nichols, uh, lives in Washington. And uh, he had served in an operation in India back in 1967, and tuberculosis basically forced him into a sanitarium over there. And his first night in the sanitarium, he had, he had been there, and it was new surroundings, but he, he heard coughing. And he had woken up, his own coughing, um, but he heard somebody else coughing, and he looked a few bunks down, and there was a man that was trying to sit up. It was like a frail elderly man, he was trying to sit up on his bed, And he kept trying to muster the strength to get up, and he would fall back onto the bed and fall down, and then he would spend a few minutes trying to just get back up and stand to his feet, and then he'd fall back down again. Well, Doug talked about the next morning he woke up, and this man had been weeping, but there was a stench throughout their quarters there. And he realized this man had been trying to get to the bathroom all night long. And so that day, as the nurses came and they cleaned up the mess, and uh, he noticed this man began to get yelled at by a couple nurses as well as some of the other people that were in the sanitarium for a stench and the mess he was creating. The next night, this continued. Finally, the third night, he walked over, and he knew that this was going to smell. He didn't want to get involved. He didn't want to be associated. Picked up the man and carried him to the bathroom, which happened to just be a concrete room with a hole in the floor. And so he put his arms, you know, underneath the man's armpits while the man went to the restroom. And then he carried him back to the bed. Next morning he wakes up. And somebody's waking him up and they're pointing him over to the man he had helped. And he went over to him, and the guy said, Now I'm ready for one of those things you've been handing out. Because Doug Nichols had shown up at the sanitarium, and you've maybe heard of a tract. You know, I I don't know, I haven't seen one in years, but it's basically a presentation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he's handing out these tracts to people. And the man said, now I'm ready to read what you've been handing out. How interesting. That when people see where we've placed our authority, it begins to work through the obstacles to their faith. And so, with that in mind, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Check it out for yourself this week, and we'll continue through Mark next week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are reminded that you are truly the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, all-loving God of all things. And so, as we look around us, whether it's here in Littleton, or as we look at our church, or as we look at the, the, the entire globe, there is so much that we look at it and we think all we can do is pray and yet, Lord, we do that with you as our authority. And so we ask that with all the spiritual resources you've given us in Christ, we ask that you would assure us that you still sit on your throne. As we look at Russia and Ukraine, Lord, we know that you have all of it in your hands. Lord, as we prayed earlier, open our eyes. Open our eyes to show us how to respond to the needs of faith. Help us spot the crowd, the roof, the mat, the attitudes, even ourselves when we're beginning to give ourselves too much authority. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.